Hello and welcome to a special interview. I'm your host, Marsha Wright from MarshaWright.com and I'm proud today to be the conduit for a very different kind of interview with a very exceptional man. There's a saying that a man who has not passed through the inferno of his passions has never overcome them. That is so poignant for my guest today who has amassed a depth of knowledge that he has gained from a lifetime of remarkable experiences in life and in business, aided by his insatiable penchant for reading a book every day at a rate of 800 words per minute. His story includes an all-too-short stint in his teens working towards an NFL career when some unexpected news on a routine physical predicted a major, major future change for him, but I'll get back to that a little later. After a life-altering and somewhat debilitating occurrence, he somehow, and I don't know how he did it, but he somehow managed to pull himself back from the brink of despair and in 1988 started a business which today has revenues in the mid-seven figures annually. He saw a gap that was born from his own frustrations and he said those all too fateful words that entrepreneurs say, someone should create that. And that business, the Emmy Award-winning Narrative Television Network, which has 22 million viewers in 12 countries, the majority of those being in the United States, where he calls home. He's a Pulitzer Prize nominee, raised over $27 million last year for charity. He's written 15 best-selling books, including The Ultimate Gift, which you very may well know has been turned into a major motion picture, as well as other movies like The Ultimate Life. He is a highly esteemed and sought-after business speaker who shares his life-changing message of success with upwards of 500,000 people per year at arenas and conferences all over the world, not to mention his appearances on Good Morning America, CNN, and many, many more. Now, I myself was delighted to be a co-author on our international best-selling book. It was actually a number one best-selling book, Ready, Aim, Captivate, which included an array of highly talented and experienced people from around the globe, all of us sharing our insights on how to create an amazing life and business with your unique message. That book also co-authored by Deepak Chopra. There is absolutely nothing more that gives me pleasure in this moment than to introduce and welcome my guest for today, Mr. Jim Stovall. Jim, welcome and thanks for joining me on this interview. Well, thank you, Marcia. It is a privilege and a joy to be with you today. And it's a joy to have you. Now, it was an absolute pleasure to speak with you a few months ago about bringing this specific interview to the, uh, to the world. You know, the decision to share just one thing. You know, you, you know, we talked at length about this. But I just had this concept of, you know, imagine there's just one thing you could say to someone that would really be the only motivational or inspirational message that he or she could live on for their entire life. There's so many gurus out there, so many talks, so many inspirational messages out there, and it's really easy to get lost in that excitement and the hoi polloi. But I just wanted this to be something different, something special, something each listener could take away and say years from now. I remember that interview with Jim and Marsha, and you know Jim said X, Y, Z. So with this in mind, I want to give you carte blanche just to share initially 
what is the one special thing, one special thing that you could share with our listeners today? Well, you know, we all have those choices, and I think it's such a brilliant thing you did to, to, to boil this down to one thing because, uh, you know, too many people, they have, you know, 23 ideas with seven points to each, and you get so bogged down. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, we, we don't need more information. We need to do the things we have. I mean, we don't fail because we don't know what to do. We fail because we don't do what we already know. And if I had to tell somebody one thing, in their personal or professional life, it would be simply the fact that this life we're living right now, this is not a practice game. This is the real deal. This is the World Series and the Super Bowl and the Olympics all rolled up into one. And if you don't feel that kind of power and passion about what you do all day, every day, you need to either find something new to do or you need to find a new attitude because this is not a practice game. This is the real deal right here today. Jim, on the level of things that are powerful that I've heard said in a 25-second you know, moment in time, that's one of the most powerful things I've, I've ever heard. Can you, can you share that? I don't know if you can remember it quite the way you said it, but can you just share that one more time? I really want that to sink in with our listeners. Yes, this life we're living right now, this moment, is not a practice game. This is the World Series, the Super Bowl, and the Olympics all rolled up into one. And if you don't feel that kind of power and passion about what you do all day, every day, you either need to find something new to do or you need to find a new attitude. And this takes on a part of your personal and your professional life and everything you do. You need to work hard. You need to play hard. You need to enjoy every moment of your life. Because, you know, success is a matter of living your life with choices. Wealth, riches, success, they all are just simply choices, and you get to live your life on your own terms and do do the things you want to do. And that comes about when you realize this is not a practice game. We are, this is it. This is your one time up to bat. This is your time to compete. This is your time to have fun. This is your time to enjoy what you're doing. And if you don't feel that kind of passion about what you're doing, you can never win because, Marsha, you'll be competing against people that do feel that kind of passion. Mm-hmm. And when they do and you don't, they will win every time because they'll do more, be more, become more, learn more, strive harder. They will do all those things that you're not willing to do because it's not your passion. That's just so powerful. And, you know, just to be able to condense so many years of experience into such a small space of time. I just wanted to see if you could just in a few minutes help help us understand what's enabled you to condense such a powerful message into just that short, um, you know, that short share that you've just given us, that one thing that you just shared with us. What led you to this moment to be able to share that with us? Where where have you come from? Well, I, I think, you know, for me, it is a process of doing the things I can do and not doing the things I can't do. Focus on the things I'm able to do. Focus on the important things, the things that really matter. The rest of the stuff someone else can do or whatever the case would be. But I think, you know, one of my mentors, Coach John Wooden, we lost him just short of his 100th birthday. And he had a, a phrase he used a lot which was, before you go do anything, uh, this interview with you, Marsha, before I did the the call before this and my meeting after this and 
the things I'll be doing tonight. Before I do anything, I ask myself one simple question. What would I do right now if I were amazing? What would I do right now if I were amazing? If I knew this was a pivotal thing, and that comes from this living your life like this is not a practice game. You know, I, I was an Olympic weightlifter, and, I mean, I got that moment. I, you, you understand that you have worked for two years, three years, to get to this competition, to go over there right now and lift that weight this one time. And, you know, in sports and athletics, it all boils down to those things, and it's real simple to see. You know, there's an overtime, there's a last-moment shot, there's a whatever the case may be, and there's a winner, there's a loser. It's real easy to see that fork in the road and, and, and that critical nature of that activity. But in our daily lives, things don't seem that critical. But when you look back on the great things that have happened to you, you realize that little tiny things made the difference. You know, you were in the right place at the right time to say a word to this person, and that created a connection with that person, and that made this whole door open, and it brought you all the things you want. Well, we never know when those critical moments are going to come. We never know when it's that turning point issue, and, and your future all hangs on one little tiny thing. And the only way to deal with that is to live every day and every moment like this is not a practice game. What would I do right now if I were amazing? Because this matters. And if you don't feel like it matters, you need to go find something that does matter. That's just so powerful. And I want to dig deeper on this one thing, because I, I want anybody listening to this to walk away from this and go, this interview has changed my perspective, and it will change my life because I'm going to let it. I'm going to allow that to happen. And I want to dig deeper on that one thing. Now, you said life is not a practice game. Do you, do you think that many business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs are playing it safe? Yeah, they do. I mean, they're trying not to lose instead of trying to win. People go to their job, their business, their career, whatever it is they're pursuing, and, you know, what's the least I can do and not get in trouble and get through the day? And if you want to do that, that's what average people do. You will have an average existence. And the world has, has ordered itself in such a way, you know, you don't have to do that much to be mediocre. You can really succeed on an average basis and, uh, you know, you're going to eat and have a house and uh, raise your kids. You're going to do those things like average people do and uh, if you want to perform like that. But it doesn't take very much more to live this life of extraordinary grace and passion and success. It just doesn't take that much more. I mean, uh, uh, when I got my gold medal as an Olympic champion, I, I lifted about uh, um, three, four pounds more than the other guy. It wasn't that big a deal. When you watch great horse races or, or, or great sprints, I mean, sometimes they have to take a photo at the end to see who really won this. And you see that just by just uh, bare inches, just, just by a little fraction, somebody won and somebody lost. And that comes from having that passion all day, every day, and what would I do right now if I were amazing? The next thing always matters. And if it doesn't matter, get it off your calendar. Don't do it. Don't do anything in, in a mediocre, halfway manner. Don't do it. That's a bad habit you get into. Do everything to the best of your ability, and if you don't feel that kind of passion about it, get it off your calendar and don't do it. Give it to somebody else or don't do it at all. But only function at the highest level you possibly can. I love that. And the whole aspect of just get it off your calendar if it doesn't matter enough, I think that's so powerful because 
sometimes we get so busy with just trying to be busy and to feel as though we're active and we're doing something as opposed to saying, hey, look, I'd rather sit and do nothing until I can get my head focusing on the one thing that's going to make all the difference rather than being frenetically busy. I find that just so many people struggle with that. And I think it all really comes down to vision. And it brings me to something that I remember you saying about you know, sight is a precious thing, but compared to vision, it's really nothing because people perish for lack of vision, which I love that. That's, that's a scripture. Um, but people can live well without sight. Do you think it's important to have a personal vision of yourself being great? And if so, how does one get in love with that? completely and utterly sell out, buy into it, sell out for it, buy into it, and work it until the wheels fall off, that greatness belief. How, do, how, do, how does one get there? Well, the first thing you've got to realize is life isn't fair, and we don't always get what we want or need or earn or deserve, but we will forevermore get what we expect. We will get that vision, and if we're really honest with ourselves in our personal and professional lives and really look at where we are and we're 100% honest, we'll realize we're just about where we thought we would be. And unless or until you and I are willing to accept the fact that we are where we are today because of the choices we've made in the past and the expectations we've had, until we accept that, we can't live today and every day or the rest of our lives in the certain knowledge that tomorrow will be anything we want it to be based on the choices and the expectations we create today. But you will never exceed the expectations you have of yourself or those expectations that you allow other people to place upon you. And we allow that. Nobody can put an expectation on me unless I let them do it. I agree with that. I, I have this saying that I send to, say to friends. I say, I love that just like I love cake. And I shouldn't love cake too much, but I really do. I love that so much because the key point here is that if you do not believe you're great, then you will not manifest the behaviors of somebody who is great and who has um, not just is living a life, but is actually walking in the steps of a vision. Uh, that's just so powerful and I think so much to learn from that and if I was somebody listening to this hey I'd pause and just start thinking what is it that I'm doing that makes me realize that I can be great and I can be better and I can be more not more than the other guy not just to win and and beat somebody else but because it's your God-given destiny to be exceptional I think that that's just so awesome just to take take a moment and pause and think on that And within that one special thing, you said if you don't feel that kind of power and passion about what you do all day, every day, you need to find something new to do today. Now, I need to get into something on this one because people often lose their message in the pursuit of success. How can one focus on the realities of needing to increase and sustain revenue and growth, but still keep true to the message that they need to put across so it's not just about money? Well, you know, first of all, you have to realize that that money is nothing more or less than the result of service to other people. My late great friend and colleague, Zig Ziglar, I was so proud to be able to put together a few words for his funeral and he will be immortalized for saying you can have everything you want out of this life if you'll help enough other people get what they want 
And, you know, it's not about us. It's, it's, it's about them. Now, I realize we have daily needs, we have expenses, we have things we need to pay. But never worry about the money. Worry about the service. The money will take care of itself. So I realize, I mean, you've got bills to pay. You have commitments you have to fulfill. You have all these things you need to do. Don't worry about what you don't have. The question is always, how can I go and create more value in the lives of other people so it will manifest itself in meeting my daily needs? What do I have to do to create more value today? What can I do? You know, the whole world is looking for a great idea, and they trip over one about three times a week. The only thing you've got to do to have a great idea is go through your daily routine, wait for something bad to happen, and ask yourself, how could I have avoided that? And the answer to that question is a great idea. And the only thing you've got to do to have a great business is ask one further question, how could I help other people avoid that problem right there? Because people will give you fame and fortune and everything you ever wanted if you will care enough about them to solve their problems. But if you keep worrying about the lack and the things you don't have, you'll never get there. Because, you know, that's like the person standing in front of the fireplace saying, give me some heat and then I'll throw in some wood. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You've got to go out and realize, I have a need here, but it will only be fulfilled by creating value for these people over here. And the more people you can create more value for, the more you will have in your life. I just feel like we're singing from the same song sheet. For many years I have taught that the key thing is solve a problem and there will never, ever be a limitation on you. And I just love the fact that you've picked up on that very point and, and certainly from, you know, the, the grandfather um, you know, of, of so many of our um, starts and so many of our forays into um, success, Zig Ziglar, being um, such a wonderful example of that point, the more you give, the more value you create, the better it, it comes. And, you know, I, I just want to kind of give a little um, bit of an action point on that. If you are it's somebody who's listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, it's easy to say that, but it still doesn't take care of my issue. Hey, look, just look at your history. You know, the history of it, has it been that you have focused more on the money and then you haven't gotten where you want? What has happened when you have focused just accidentally fallen into making uh, and, and taking a new engagement or accidentally fallen into something because of a relationship. And that's where the powerful um, element comes is that you start realizing, as Jim says, that it's not about just trying to get stuff and you know, there's a great book called Leadership and Self-Deception that talks about treating people like people and not like objects. And as long as you realize that all the money that you want to make, all the engagements that you want to secure, all the revenue that you want to increase in your business, as long as you realize that that actually comes from having engagements and relationships that mean something with people, you'll focus on the relationships. And like, like you said, Jim, the money will take care of itself, right? Oh, absolutely. You have to visualize every morning and have an expectation. There are people out there right now that are looking for me. They need what I have. They are out there right now. And they are going to go without if I don't go help them. They need Those people are out there. All I've got to do is find them and make that connection. And they will be pleased. They will, they will leap at the opportunity to give me what I need in my life. If I can just find those people and connect with them and give them what they need. But they are out there right now. All the wealth there will ever be is already out there right now. And there are people waiting and hoping 
and they are sitting there right now needing you. And when you will go out and look for those people and have the expectation, the people are out here. And But I see so many people, they're out trying to sell something or market something or offer something or start a business, and they say, well, nobody wants what I have. I don't believe that. But if you leave your house every day with that thought in your mind, you can go find it. You will You will manifest that expectation. If you don't believe there's anybody out there that wants it, you will manifest nobody wants this. Right. I agree with that 150%. And the fact of the matter, it's all about getting your message out. And, and getting your message out is typically difficult. One of the things that I, I'm known for is being really practical with the, the tips, the strategies, um, the things that I talk about doing, which are from my experience of being an entrepreneur. Now, one of the things that you've done, which I'd love to hear a practical element on this as opposed to just a motivational one, is that you syndicated your column to something more like more than 400 outlets are, are um, you have a syndicated column. I would like you to tell us about that. How did you do that? And how could our listeners in some way duplicate what you've done in order to get their message out to the masses? Well, I, you know, I, I've written uh, uh, my 25th book will come out late this year. And I... But I remember, you know, 1994, I wrote my first book, and a local business publication contacted me and said, could you write a column? I said, what's a column? What do you need? And they said, we have to have four to 500 words. And so I sat down, and in the next four or five minutes, wrote something out and uh, faxed it over to him. I mean, we weren't even using email back then, and faxed it over to him, and he called me in 10 minutes and said, where did you get this? I said, I wrote it after you called me. And he said, you wrote this after I called you? I said, yeah. He said, do that every Thursday. So every Thursday I started doing that. After about a year, I I had other people in other cities saying, can I have that? And I called this editor, and I said, look, do I own this or do you? And he said, it's yours. And so we started offering it to more and more people. And, uh, you know, there are people out there that are, they have business publications, they have internal corporate uh, newsletters, corporate magazines, association magazines. They have all of these things, and they're all over the world, and they are looking for content. You know, I've had so many people tell me, you, you, you can't syndicate a column. You can't do that anymore. It's just not that easy. And, uh, boy, for us, it was as simple as saying, hey, I like your magazine here. Uh, are you ever looking for content? I've never met anybody yet that's not looking for content. They are always looking for content. Now, one of the keys to it, and on a practical nature, is I have one of the best editors and proofers in the world down the hall from me, and she's a great grammarian, and my columns go out as a Word document that is picture perfect. I mean, there's no typos, there's no uh, misspellings, there's no problems in it. And, you know, editors all around the world know you can just take that Word document, drop it into your column, and you're ready to go. Make the job easy for them. That's one of the biggest things that I see people, you know, when they have a column, they, they, they don't make it easy for, for, the, uh, for the publication to take their column. And make it easy for people to do business with you, whatever it is. Get on their side of the equation and say, what can I do this, to make this easier for you? What is your problem here? The problem is not that nobody has your column. The problem is there are people out there that want your column. They've never heard of you. And make it easy for them to take your column. I mean, if someone, they're always working on tight deadlines with newspapers, magazines, and online publications. And if 
you know, if they have a choice between my column and someone else's, and mine is a Word document, they can just pour it in there. They know from my reputation and from reading it before, there's not going to be any typos or problems in there. They send it out. The other thing is make it generic enough to fit the widest audience you want to reach. You know, you, you, you have to realize that, uh, you know, a lot of these publications reach a wide audience. Now, if you just, if your business is, uh, you do uh, carburetors for V8 engines, that's fine. Then you can write about that. If that's the only audience you want to reach, it's wonderful. But I want to reach the broadest audience I can, so I have to keep my columns um, generic enough. And I realize there are people you know, in Singapore and Australia and, and New Zealand that are going to read my column. There are people, you know, in, in dozens of languages that are going to read this, and I have to keep it relevant to people all around the world from all different walks of life. I, I love that, and, and I love the fact that you've given the practical element there. M myself, as a columnist, um, I'm always being contacted for people, and what used to be just print is now coded in can you guess a blog for me? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and guest blogging is the same thing as syndication because you can actually share the same article across different platforms. And I think, you know, people who want to really get their message out there, whether they have a budgetary issue or not, should totally be leveraging the opportunity to get their message out there as wide as possible. Like you said, because people are waiting for you. People need what you have to say. People are looking for you. And it really brings me on to this point that you shared in your one special thing, your one important thing. You said, I quote, <laughs> this, um, it's a, the World Series, the Super Bowl, and the Olympics all rolled into one. Now, I said already, that's amazing insight. Now, I want to bring you back to your first studio, loosely using the word, and I, I know that personally because... Uh, and when I found out about this about you, it was just like, oh, my gosh, she's just like me. Because our, we had the same thing, the, the makeshift studio. Hilarious. We'll have to talk about it another time. But in your first studio for narrative with your now VP of strategic planning, Kathy Harper, it, it was a, a pipe dream. N you know, narrative te television network was a pipe dream. Nobody believed you could do it. But with your determination, you eventually got that basement makeshift studio up and running with some borrowed equipment from a manufacturer. Now, many, many business owners, many leaders, supervisors, managers want to make a move. They want to do something big. They want to do something daring. They want to do something that will make all the difference. But the fear of failure and the fear of no is crippling. How did you feel? What did you feel? And how did you get over that bravery hump when you and Kathy, as complete novices in the area of television, were calling studios, producers, syndicators, and even manufacturers for all of the content and equipment that you needed to get your network off the ground in a totally uncharted industry? How did you conquer that fear of no, of failure, of, of rejection that so many people, whether they're hugely successful or still on their way, have and get crippled with? Well, I, I was able to overcome those things because uh, that other people are not able to overcome. And I was able to do that because simply this is my passion. I am 100% committed to doing this. 
you know, you will leap tall buildings, run into traffic, uh, jump on grenades, rush into a building that's on fire if your child is in there, if that's your baby. Well, you know, when, when I see people say, well, I don't know if that would work, and I, do we really want to commit the resources, and I don't have the time, and is this really going to work, and I'm afraid nobody's going to want this, they haven't found their passion yet. That's not the conversation you have with yourself when your child needs medicine. That's not the conversation. The conversation you have when your child needs medicine is, we're going to get this. If, if your child has a life or death uh, health concern, and needs of the treatment, you're going where you need to go and doing what you need to do to get that done. You've already started with the conclusion this is going to happen. Now we just now the rest of this is just details. This is going to happen. I remember sitting in the basement in that little broom closet we used to literally work in and thinking about this is going to happen. There's no doubt in my mind this is going to happen. Now, I had a lot of doubt in my mind in how this is going to happen, but never get the how you're going to do it mixed up in the what are you going to do phase. We are going to get this done. How we're going to do this, I'm totally flexible. I'm totally flexible on my method. I'm never flexible on my mission. Yeah, that, that's really powerful, and I think such a, a key point there that you made was don't get the how is it going to happen mixed up with what the mission is because a lot of the time people get so worried about the how is it going to happen, maybe they don't get their team in place and they're trying to figure it all out and they're thinking, I can't do this, so therefore maybe we can't do this. And I think that's such a powerful point that you don't twist the two of those those things up. I always say the how-to is actually not as complicated as you think if you have the right people around you who've got that experience, which is why I'm a big advocate for mentoring. And, you know, it's just important to just get the how-to out of the way. But if the mission is right, if the mission has merit, if the mission is worth doing and something that you want in your obituary, uh, you know, in your eulogy, then that is something that you have to find a way to fill in the gaps. And I love the way that you uh, that you pointed that out there. Well, one of the things that happens is that we often get really, really driven. And I wanted to ask, how how did you avoid the disease of more that happens when you find your business growing and being in a position of realizing that there's even more that you don't have? You talked about that in your interview with Steve Forbes. Can you tell me how you were able to overcome that feeling of, of I want more, and then you're in a new playing field and you realize this guy's bigger than you, guy's more successful than you, got more than you, got everything else that you look and you go, gosh, he makes me look, you know, look like I'm, I'm, you know, running a, a lemonade stand. How, how do you deal with that mentality of not getting so overwhelmed with the, the, the more, more, more factor? Well, first of all, I always try to keep mindful of the fact that it's not about me. It's about serving other people. And, you know, I'm not trying to keep up with someone else. I, my goals that I have now in my life are not financial. I have more money than I will ever spend or ever need. And uh, just as I did when I made my first dollar, every dollar that comes in now, Part of it is, is saved and invested for my business and my future. Part of it is spent and enjoyed now. And a, a large part of it goes to my foundation. And uh, 
We've sent 500 kids to scholarship, uh, scholarship uh, 500 kids to college in the last uh, 25 years. We just built a the Stovall Administrative Center on a recent uh, uh, on a college campus. We opened it last October. Uh, we uh, we feed hungry people in Haiti and buy air conditioners for people here in the summertime, and we do all these things. And every time I have an opportunity, I realize. That's another kid I could I could send to college right there. Or that's what I could do. And it's not always about me. Now, I still have those things that I love and enjoy. And uh, uh, my wife's turned into quite a world traveler, and uh, she enjoys uh, the finer things. And I do, too. I mean, I love not worrying about things. Because I remember a time in my life, you know, I always like to tell people, there, there's never been anybody more broke and scared and despondent and depressed than I was. Uh, we were so broke. I mean, Poor people can't get that far in debt. I don't know what we were. We had to we had to have a major financial boost just to get up to poor. And uh, no one can compete with it. No one has been more uh, depressed and despondent than we were and, and less likely to succeed than me. You just won't find that person. And uh, the, the, the difference is I realized that the only way I get out of this and get all the things I want is to help those other people get what they want. And... Uh, you know, and to see my associates and the people that work with me, to see them starting to create wealth and for them to start reaching all their financial goals, that's more exciting than than, uh, uh, than succeeding myself. I, I have a book that will be out uh, shortly uh, about becoming a millionaire, and it's called The Millionaire Map. And I, a, a reporter said, is there anything more exciting in your life than becoming a multimillionaire? Yeah, there is. When someone I helped, when they have become a multimillionaire, that's exciting to me. Absolutely, and and I I share that it's you know I I too love the finer things, but the thing that is so much more fulfilling, you know, I always say I could be so tired. I I, I really do drive. I, I'm very driven. I'm very busy, and I can be absolutely tired and just worn out. And you know, I've done maybe a speaking event. And it's the end of the speaking event and somebody comes up to me and they want to ask me a question. All of that goes out the window because in that moment, I'm giving them something that they can take and that can change their lives and that can be a legacy for their family, for their children. And they then become a satellite of a great message and they help other people. And I, I just totally see where you're coming from on that. I think getting over that more, more, more factor, you know, where you don't get so obsessed with just the, the materialistic is when you fall so deeply and passionately in love with a new reason to be in love with life as opposed to being in love with all the new stuff that you can get, every new level that you go to. And don't get, you know, just trapped up in it. Just focus on what can I do that will tick my heart, not my pocket, because I've already taken care of the pocket bit. So I totally love how you shared that. And it, it really brings me on to a point because sometimes, you know, that more, more, more factor can become in many ways. It's not just down to um, f a financial standpoint. It could be more projects, more activities, more companies, more staff, more, more, more. And um, you, you actually um, shared a story in the book, Forbes Great Success Stories. Now, you talked about how to catch a spider monkey. And I think this was an absolutely phenomenal analogy for business owners and leaders, and I'll never forget it. Can you share that story? Yeah, spider monkeys are little tiny 
primates. They're little tiny monkeys. They look more like human beings than probably any other animal. And spider monkeys are about six inches tall, and they live in the tallest trees in the most dense jungle in the Amazon basin down in South America. And for years, they tried to capture the spider monkeys. They wanted to sell them around the world as pets. And first, they tried to capture them in these nets, but the, the, the spider monkeys are too small. They could slip through the nets, and they're too fast. They could run around them. So next, they tried to shoot them with these tranquilizer guns, but they're too high up in the trees and too many leaves and branches in between, and they were frustrated in every attempt to capture the spider monkeys until one of the natives showed up and explained how to capture a spider monkey, and I'm going to share that with you and your audience today, Marcia. So when uh, someone listens to this interview and says, what did you learn from that weird guy from Oklahoma on that Marcia Wright interview, just tell them you learned how to capture a spider monkey, and it works exactly like this. All you got to do to capture a spider monkey is you take one peanut and a clear glass bottle. You put the peanut inside the bottle and place the bottle at the base of a tree. You now have set a perfect spider monkey trap. And after you leave, that spider monkey, he'll look way down there and he'll see that peanut in the bottle. Eventually, he'll climb down the tree, putting his hand in the bottle, grabbing the peanut, making his fist too large to get out of the bottle. And you can come back an hour, a day, or a week later, and he'll be standing there. You have captured a spider monkey. And you can come back and put a whole bag of peanuts right next to him there, and he'll stand there holding on to that one peanut that he didn't want in the first place. You can put bananas all around him there, and he'll just stand there holding on to peanut he can't eat. He'll eventually starve to death if you don't help him. You can have other little spider monkeys running around there playing little spider monkey games, and he'll stand there all alone holding on to one peanut. You can take away his freedom. You can take away his very life. And he will stand there holding on to a peanut. Because, Marsha, over the years, I've discovered, after reading several books on the subject of spider monkeys, that, that spider monkeys are pretty stupid. These are not smart animals. But before we criticize spider monkeys too much, we've got to ask ourselves, what is it we're holding on to today that we didn't want in the first place that is keeping us from everything we ever did want? Because if you want happiness and joy and success, you've got to let go of bitterness and unforgiveness and negative thinking. You've got to let go of that stuff. You can't carry your past around with you if you want to have a brand new future. Yeah, this is just such a great point because the thing that I was alluding to that I knew this story was so much about was about the importance of focusing on what's important and not holding on to things because you're afraid to let go because of the wealth of great things that are actually out there that are, are there ready for you, just smorgasbord ready for you, mm-hmm. but you don't want to go on to it because it's just you've got to let go of, of the one thing that you have. And so many people are, are doing that in, in business, in life, professional um, environments, we're holding on to the good old days. We're holding on to the memory of when things were great. We're holding on to this one thing because we don't know if the next thing is going to be as good, etc. This comes up in every area of our lives. And I just felt that that was such a very poignant point. And the ability to let go and focus on the wealth of what's really out there for you, um, that just really all comes down to focus and on really being able to get major results. Now, in one minute, can you tell us what you think is important to getting major results? Just a real quick tip to getting major results, even on the back of that answer. If you want major results, you have to make a major action. You have to do something you have never done before. If you want a new result, you've got to take a new action. 
and you've got to treat it with that kind of power and passion we talked about earlier because this is not a practice game. But you've got to do what is that quantum leap thing I can do right now that could make all the difference. Yeah, I love that. Now, you've truly leveraged the collaborative economy and strategic alliances in Hollywood, business, politics, philanthropy, and so much more. I'd like you to tell us a bit about some of those relationships with high flyers, Steve Jobs, um, Dennis Waitley, Anthony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Catherine Hepburn, and, and so on. How did you build those relationships? Tell, tell us about, a little bit about that. Well, you know, people are always amazed. And when you come into my office here, the lobby looks like a who's who with hundreds of uh, photographs of presidents and prime ministers and movie stars and whatever. And these people came into my life because I asked them to. And it's just that simple. In, in my industry, in the television industry, people said, how did you get Ted Turner to come on your board? Uh, when we were working out of the basement of a condominium in Oklahoma, we went to the library and I looked up Ted Turner's address and I wrote him a one-page letter and told him who it was we're serving or what it was we're doing, and I said, I need your assistance. And he called me. Uh, Dennis Whaley, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, the same thing, Catherine Hepburn. I found her in a Star Guide book, and I said, I have a unique audience that I am bringing your work to, and I would like to interview, interview you for national television. I asked, Marsha, the reason I'm on with you today is you, you contacted me and asked me. And, Very true. You know, you quoted a scripture earlier. I'll quote one here. Uh, you have not because you ask not. And what I have found it, in, in every endeavor I go into, whether it's our movie business, our television business, my speaking, my books, my columns, I put together my own list of my dream team. If I could work with anybody on this project, if I could have anybody I want, who would I put? And I'll write down ten names. And I'll ask all ten of them. And it is rare I don't get two or three of them to 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 come with me on a project or help me or be of assistance or whatever. But you've also got to make that easy for them. You've got to make it easy for people to do business with you. It's just like we were talking on the column. When I asked Mr. Turner, I said, would you come on our advisory board for our television network? I didn't have a television network. I had, a, I had some borrowed equipment on a card table outside a broom closet, but I had a vision for a television network. And I, I said, you don't have to come to meetings. I need the freedom to call you when I need advice periodically or send you an email that you can answer with your response or the contacts I need or the information I need on your schedule. I mean, I, I just need a brief amount of time. When I got all the movie stars to help me, I told them I need 30 minutes of your time for an on-camera interview anytime, anywhere in the next nine months. If you want it four in the morning at the North Pole, I'm there. It's hard to tell me no. I mean, if you're passing through an airport, I'll rent a room. We'll set up there. We'll do whatever we got to do to make it happen. Make it easy for people to give you what you need. This is just such a great point, and it's all about looking for ways to be of service initially, and that's one of the things that I'm so big on when it comes to leveraging strategic alliances and really looking for ways to add value to one another and just not really looking for the what can I get. It's one of the most important questions I always say that you can ask, you know, how can I help you? You know, there's just that short question, what can I do for you? How can I add value to you? These are just things that people don't hear regularly, so when somebody hears it, they're like, wow, I don't even know how to answer that question. And I, I love how you shared that. And do you think that you would be where you are today? I guess you're going to say this is a pretty easy question. Without those strategic alliances? 
No, but uh, if it hadn't been them, it would have been another strategic alliance. I mean, so I mean, I had my goal in my mind. It was part of my vision all along. Uh, those people were willing to help and assist me. Uh, but if it hadn't been them, it would have been someone else. And it would have always had that strategic... You always would have used relationships and teams right. and strategic relationships to help you get there, right? Right. And don't ask for help for yourself. Ask for help for the people you're trying to serve. Always ask for help for the people you're trying to serve. Marcia, when you called me about doing this interview, you were telling me about your audience, and you are the epitome of what you talk about. You made it very easy for me. I've been on the road all month. I leave again next week, and I have a million things going on. And you said, when in the next few months could we sit down for an hour and have this conversation? And you made it fit my schedule. And when you contacted me, you told me about the people that would be listening to this. And these are people that are aspiring. They want to do more, be more, have more, create more, and give more. And would you come on and talk to me so we can help them? You made it really easy for me to fit it into my schedule, and you made it really compelling to help the people that you serve through your outreach. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that, and my heart really is for the people that that we reach out, and that was one of the reasons that it was so important for me in our conversation that this was going to be something that would be a resource that would be available to people for many years to come, that they would be able to just learn from this, take something from this, do something with this message, and make something amazing, and just come back and share with us and let us know that it meant something to you and meant something to your life. So thank you very much for sharing that. Now, on that same vein as we wind down, taking advantage of that Super Bowl moment ahead of you, ahead of those who are listening, you had an, kind of an interesting accidental story on how you became a speaker with those entertainment consultants you brought into your office. Can you tell us a little bit about that just very briefly? Well, you know, I, I never planned to be a speaker, an author, or a television or movie person or anything else. I, I had one goal for my life as a young person. I wanted to be a professional football player in the National Football League. And the scouts and coaches that uh, monitor those kind of things felt I had the size and speed to do that. And I was well on my way to making that dream come true when in a routine physical to go play another season of football, I was diagnosed with a condition that caused me to lose my sight. And I have lived the last 25 years of my life as a blind person. Everything we've talked about today, everything I've done in my TV and movie and publishing and uh, column and speaking business, everything in all of the ventures I have has happened and all the lessons I have learned that I shared with you today and many, many others have all come to me since I lost my sight which is how I know I can say, I know what it's like to wake up totally broke, totally hopeless, totally helpless, in a little room you think you'll never leave again, totally blind, and I know what that's like. I know what that feels like. And uh, when I started my business, I, you know, we started adding television networks, and we make television and movies accessible to millions of blind people around the world. That's what we do. And uh, I hired a PR firm to help me get the word out, and they said, Jim, we need to leverage your Olympic weightlifting experience and your success in business, and out of that, they wanted me to be a speaker, and I started speaking, and I started doing all these other things simply as a way to reach more people and serve my core audience, and that's how I do what I do, and, uh, you know, when they came to me and wanted me to do that, I couldn't think of anything more terrifying than going into arenas all around the world and speaking to millions of people. 
and uh, but it has become a, a a true joy and a true part of my life. But it started with the thought: this is another way I can help my core audience, that group of people that I serve, and that's what I do in my business. You know, no one who has ever done anything special or significant has ever done it as a lone ranger, and you are 